This episode of TGC's Word of the Week is sponsored by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Visit our historic campus and see how we prepare ministers of the gospel for faithful service. Learn more at sbts.edu slash visit. My friends, although the Christian life does involve a personal experience, that's essential, it doesn't mean that I get to make up my own story and call it Christianity. In fact, we see Christianity as us being brought in, in our personal experience, into God's great, eternal, global story. This is TGC's Word of the Week, a sermon podcast from the Gospel Coalition. This week's sermon, The Experience That Changes Everything, was preached by Curtis Cook at Hope Fellowship Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts, on July the 22nd, 2018. The text is Psalm 34. Listen now to Curtis Cook on The Experience That Changes Everything. Many years ago, when I was in college, a friend introduced me to the classic musical Les Mis. So he used to play it, and I would hear it, and so I I began to really uh, enjoy and appreciate the music. So eventually I bought the soundtrack myself and, and was familiar with it, knew several of the songs by heart. I knew the basics of the story. And if someone would have asked me, If I was a fan of Les Mis, I would have said that I was. Although I hadn't seen it, though I hadn't actually experienced it, I would have said, well, absolutely. I I know what it's about. A few years later, we were on a mission trip to Brooklyn for a week or so, and we had a night off, and so we went to Broadway. And so I saw in person for the first time on Broadway Les Mis. And that experience changed everything. It was so very different to be in the room as the orchestra played, as the actors sang, as they danced. Not like, you know, Landry, but as they danced as well <laughs> as a part of that. It was so moving that during the finale, I ran up on stage and joined. Actually, I didn't. I, but the thought crossed my mind. I was so moved by the actual experience of being there. So being there, experiencing it was different than knowing about it from even listening to a recording of it, to actually be in the room. And once I'd been in the room, then I knew what it was about. Christianity is something like that. It is certainly something that can be studied, observed, questioned, considered. But eventually, it must be experienced in order for it to truly impact our lives. And when it is experienced, it then impacts every day of life afterwards. Now that does raise the question of whether the Christian life is only my own personal experience or if there's somehow a way that's more than only my personal experience. Today in our text, we see a helpful picture of a life that has experienced and is experiencing the goodness of God. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 34. Today we'll be in Psalm 34. You can find that on page 463 in the Bibles we provided for you. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible so you can see the text in front of you. Uh, if you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers who are in chapter 34. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers, and I'll mention those throughout our time together. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one today as a gift. Uh, following the service, the back of the room, there's an information table. There's some Bibles on it. You just grab one of those and take it with you 
uh, this morning. Uh, so last week we concluded our series in the book of Lamentations. So over these next several weeks, we'll be looking at selected psalms and see how God's word works through these psalms for us. In your Bible, likely there's a brief note at the beginning of this psalm that tells us some of the background. David, the future king, has been anointed as king, but Saul, the current king at the time, was trying to kill David. He was threatened by David, by his popularity, by his uh, exploits as a leader. And so Saul had sought to kill David, so David had fled. He went to the city of Gath trying to flee, but eventually the king there also heard of David, was threatened by David, and was seeking to at least imprison, if not kill David. So David, in order to escape, pretended that he was insane in, in, in order to get away. And so he writes this psalm telling of that life and death experience and God's faithfulness. Let's look. Psalm 34, beginning in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Today, as we look at this psalm, we'll see that The fulfilling life of praising and experiencing the goodness of God can be found and can be known by us. So first, I'd like for us to see in the text a life committed to praise God's goodness in verses 1 to 3. A life committed to praise God's goodness. We see in the words of the psalmist of David a future-oriented commitment. I will bless the Lord at all times. In the second half of the verse, he gives a fuller picture of it. He says, his praise, the Lord's praise, shall continually be in my mouth. So this is blessing of the Lord. It is praising the Lord. It is speaking of God's praiseworthiness. It is celebrating his goodness. 
It is speaking of his character, of his power, of his glory, using the words that we have to celebrate our God. And David says, that praise will continually be in my mouth. He's determined that he will live a life where he constantly is blessing the Lord, praising the Lord. One of the ways that we praise the Lord, as we see in the text, is when we make our boast in the Lord. It's our natural impulse to boast in something. Unfortunately, more often our boasts are about ourselves. More often my boasts fill my mouth talking about myself or trying to get others to talk about me. And likewise, you may do the same. But here, friends, we see a rightly directed soul that finds its boast in the Lord. And we boast in the Lord as we speak of God's greatness, as we tell of his deeds in history, as we tell of his deeds in our own lives, as we're saying to others, let me tell you how great God is. Let me tell you of his grace and mercy, of his kindness and his love. And we see that when our boasting is rightly directed so that we are boasting in the Lord, it can be freeing for us, freeing from selfish, prideful boasting in ourselves, and it also can be used to embolden and encourage joy in others. You see this in verse 2. As, as we boast, others are built up. They are made glad. But then in verse 3, we see something interesting in the text that we want to be sure that we don't miss, and that is that Praising and boasting cannot be contained on only the private level and often overflows into corporate or communal or congregational praise. Look at verse 3. David says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So he starts at the personal, at the private level, but it's as if that wasn't sufficient. So he turns to God's people and urges them, urges us to join him in the praise of God. And if you think about your own life, you do this at times. Where you have a great experience and you want someone else to, to know about it or to share it with you. C.S. Lewis writes helpfully about this. Here's what he says. Just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch. But you've experienced this. Maybe you like movies and you saw a movie and you loved it. And so now you're urging others to see it, or if you do meet someone who saw it, you're thrilled to share your enjoyment with them. Or you go to a new restaurant, and you find it to really be excellent. So now you're, you're quick to tell others, you must go to this restaurant. 
or those who you shared the meal with. You say, wasn't this a wonderful meal? You know, there's lots of challenges with social media, but, but at times there's something good about that. And let's say for someone on Instagram, they, they take a photo of a sunset. Now, it's not a photo of them and the sunset, but it's just the sunset. What they're doing in that is they're saying, look at this. This sunset is so magnificent. I want to share it with you. I want these other people to, to enjoy it with me. Friends, this is a part of the Christian life where we are brought into, yes, personal, private praise. That is true. But also into congregational, communal, corporate praise. So, so we're helped and refreshed by personal praise, but also the essential weekly rhythm of gathering with God's people. This is God's good design, that we can do things alone, but also that we gather with others. And so we gather each week at times like this, and, and we seek to praise God through our prayers together. We seek to bless the Lord as the word is preached. We praise God as we sing. We see instructions on this, for instance, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul says this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So did you hear what he said? Addressing one another. So we're singing songs, yes, to glorify God, to praise God, and simultaneously we're also singing to one another, to other believers who are gathered with us. So as we gather and sing this morning, as we already have, yes, we're singing to God, but there's something more going on. We're singing to one another, for one another, with one another. So there's value for the Christian of time alone, just me and Jesus. That's good. That's valuable. That's important. But these moments on Sunday are different than that. And sometimes we as Christians and sometimes as churches, we confuse that. And we try to make times like this basically private praise. It may be a number of worshipers in the same room, but it's only private worshipers who happen to be in the same space together. And we miss the congregational aspect of this, that we're in this together. So there's some things that we try to do here at Hope that you may or may not notice that try to remind us we're not just individuals here, but we're here together. So for instance, it's a, it's a well-lit room. We do that intentionally because we're here together. We also value congregational singing. So therefore, we, we try to choose songs that are singable. There's some great songs out there, but that are hard for a congregation to sing. That we, we moderate the volume of the band. So the band is not performing for us. They're leading us. But we want to be able to most of all hear our voices as we sing together. Regularly also in the songs that we sing, you'll hear the word we. Well, some of the words are certainly I, but often it's we because we are singing together. And then sometimes the words are not vertical, but they're actually horizontal. As Christians are singing to one another, to build up, to encourage, to exhort. So friends, it's helpful to have that mindset as you gather on Sunday because it is different. It's good and valuable, important for time alone to, to praise and to pray and to hear God's word. But in these moments, we're here to do something slightly different than that. We're here to worship with others. 
with the family. So for now, I wonder if, if you're a Christian, are you a part of a local church where you are regularly engaged in congregational praise, sharing with others? The psalmist David here, he's urging us to cultivate a life where the praise of God is continually in our mouths. But how do we do this? What, what practically might this look like? Well, there are countless ways, small and big, that you could choose to do that. Maybe consider, how would you cultivate some simple rhythms in your life to do this? So it might be first thing in the morning as you wake up. You might think, I just want to start today by saying, Father, thank you. I praise you for a good night of rest. Or if it wasn't a good night of rest, Lord, I praise you that tomorrow night might be the night for a good night of rest. It might be at the end of the day, as you, as you lay in bed, you might say, Father, I thank you. I praise you for your grace today. I bless you because I know you will have new mercies for me tomorrow morning. It might be throughout your day, as you likely will share some meals throughout the day. So you're not required to pray at meals, but I think there's a wise rhythm to that. Give us a moment throughout the day to simply say, Father, thank you. I praise you for your continued faithfulness in providing this simple meal. And maybe just throughout the day, the week, look up. Be watchful for things to thank God for. Because this was in my mind this week, I'm preparing this sermon uh, it was probably more mindful than normal, but the second half of the week, I found myself numerous times just sort of whispering to God, wow, Father, thank you. I praise you for a beautiful summer day. It's spectacular. As we were here, and Adventure Week filled the, the building, and there were children and adults, and I found myself saying, God, thank you for children, for their exuberance, for their joy, for their energy, for their interest. Father, I praise you for all the adults who were here this week serving these children, giving their time, energy, even their vacation, that they might love these children. So friend, if we just look up, there are so many opportunities to quietly or silently or to others voice words of praise to God. And then friends, build in, as I mentioned, this corporate gathering. For when we gather when our hearts are wandering or when our hearts are weak, we are helped by God's people. So we see in our text a life committed to praise God's goodness. Second, we see a life changed by the goodness of God. A life changed by the goodness of God in verses 4 through 7. The psalmist David turns and recounts a time when he experienced God's goodness in his own life. He was in the midst of something that was causing him fear, and so he sought the Lord, the Lord answered him, and the Lord delivered him. He restates it in verse 6 as he speaks of the poor man, which is himself. He says, the poor man cried to the Lord, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. So he's giving us a brief picture of what it looks like for the praise of the Lord to continually be in our mouths. He's showing us how to boast in the Lord. So he moves back and forth from his own experience to broader explanations. In addition, in verse 5 and verse 7, he tells some of the richness of the life of those who do look to the Lord. Look at verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. 
Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Here he refers to the Old Testament where we see the angel of the Lord appear numerous times. And when the angel of the Lord comes near, most often it's Christ, the pre-incarnate, before his incarnation, Christ himself, the son, breaking into the world to rescue, to save his people. But friends, even as we see this, we should be reminded that there's no assurance that God's people won't have troubles or that we won't face situations that might cause fear. That's not what is promised. But it is that when God's people cry for help, when you cry for help, our God hears. He's engaged in the world and he acts. Sometimes it's an obvious and immediate deliverance. But in this life, it doesn't always come that way. But we can be assured even when it doesn't come immediately or in this life, God is faithful in his love and sustaining grace for his people. We see that as a means of encouraging himself and others to praise, the psalmist recounts a time when God was at work in his life. And there's great value for us in remembering God's past work, God's past grace, his past faithfulness. We saw this a few weeks ago in Lamentations chapter 3. And we mentioned how the Bible's filled with calls to God's people to remember, to look back, to remember what God has done for you. And friends, we are so often helped by this because we're so prone to forget so prone to only see the problem in front of us, failing to remember God's past interventions on our behalf. So friend, when's the last time you slowed to remember, to think about the salvation that you've experienced if you're a Christian, to think about God's intervening grace and mercy and love in your life? When's the last time you shared some of your story with others? as a means of boasting, not in yourself, but in the Lord. Who knows how others could be encouraged by the story of God's work in your life? And when's the last time you asked someone else that, that they might share some of their story with you? Consider doing that today. Maybe after the service, if you grab a meal together. Don't be weird about it, but just say, I, I would love to hear some of God's kindness in your life. I'd love to hear, how did you become a Christian if you're a Christian? That would be encouraging to me to hear. There's great wisdom, friends, in remembering. We see here a life changed by the goodness of God. Third, we see in the text the value of cultivating a life of knowing God and his goodness. The value of cultivating a life of knowing God and his goodness. He gives us this rich picture in verse 8. Look down at verse 8. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So he's just given a glimpse of how he had experienced the goodness of God. And now he urges his listeners, he urges us, don't just take his word for it, but taste and see for yourself. I mean, you've done this before. Maybe you were at a, a restaurant or at a family gathering and there was a great dessert, let's say. And you tasted it. 
And I admit in my selfishness, I'm prone to not say anything. Say, oh, no, you actually, you wouldn't want to try those cookies. Those are no good. So, so there is a, a selfishness that I'm prone to. But, but deep down, we really want to say, this was so good. You should taste it. Now get your own plate, but you should taste it. This is really wonderful chocolate dessert or chocolate chip cookies. Feel free to bring chocolate anytime you want, but these are really good. And so we say, taste it for yourself. Don't just take my explanation of it. Don't just watch me enjoy it, but you taste it and you experience it as well. That's what David is saying to us. And it's when we have tasted for ourselves, then we truly know the goodness of God. Just like I knew of Les Mis, I knew the songs, but I didn't know it until I had been there. So I've been in the room to fully experience it. Okay, but how do we do that? How do we taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, he helps us in the second line of verse eight. He builds upon it. He says, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So by taking refuge in the Lord is one of the ways we taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, there are several ways that we take refuge in the Lord. But first and foremost, we take refuge in the Lord. We look to him for salvation. When we understand the depth of our own need because of our own sin and rebellion, we come to believe that Jesus truly can save. And so we cry out to him for salvation. And it's when we come to know that experience, when we know the grace and the mercy and the love of God personally, what is happening for you is you are tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. The Apostle Peter helps us to understand what's going on as he quotes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. And here's what Peter says. So writing to Christians, and he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he's writing to believers. He says, if you've tasted the Lord is good, then grow up into salvation. What he's implying is that you have in fact tasted this. You have, in fact, tasted the Lord is good. So grow up, mature in salvation. And how had they tasted? They had repented and believed in Christ. They had come to believe that Jesus had done what he said he came to do. They had personally trusted in him. And by that, they tasted, they saw the rich goodness of God. Friend, I wonder if you've ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Our culture is filled with many things where they say to us, taste this, it will truly satisfy. Have some of this, it will give meaning to your life. Taste this, it'll make life worth living. So our culture may hold out to us a relationship. If you have a certain type of relationship, that will be sufficient for you. Or sexual activity, that's what it would take to really find life. Or vocational success, the applause, the approval of others. Other things, the world says, taste this, it will satisfy. Or friends, at an initial tasting, sometimes it almost seems like it would satisfy. 
And maybe for a brief season, you think, yeah, this is it. But and again and again, all these other things are shown to be insufficient. Not enough. But maybe you're not a Christian, but you've been with us here at Hope for a time. We're so glad you would join us on a regular basis. And so maybe you've been with us at times like this on Sundays, and you've seen some glimpses that maybe were strange to you, and yet also curious and maybe even attractive. You've noticed that there's something different about these people, not because they're so good, but we'd say because the grace of God is at work within them. We would say, friend, there's more to it than simply being in the room with us. That's a good first step. But there's more to it than simply hearing, than simply singing. But there comes a time, friend, to consider, have you actually tasted this? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And friend, the way you would do that would be to understand your need and repent and believe in Jesus Christ. To trust in his saving work for us. If that's new to you, we would invite you. We'd love for you to continue to be with us. If you're curious, we'd love to tell you more. I'll be at the door on the way out. Our associate pastor John, he'll be here at the front. We would love to talk with you if you're interested. Those of us who are Christians, after salvation, we continue to taste and see that the Lord is good because we continue to take refuge in him. The Christian life is continually us looking to God, placing ourselves looking to him for refuge. So we look to him by faith and again know the goodness of God. David then lays out some of what is involved in this living relationship with our God and knowing his goodness day by day. We see in verse 9 and 11 the essential reality of fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the recognition of who God is, of his greatness, of the fact that he is other, He is holy. But this fear also draws us in. It emboldens us. The fear of the Lord is lived out as we submit to the Lord and submit to his word. We see some aspects of his instructions of his word to us in verse 13 and 14. This is not an exhaustive, but shows some of what God's people are to do as we walk in his goodness. So verse 13 Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So we see that in his goodness, God has given us his word to guide us. And we're to walk in his ways. My friends, although the Christian life does involve a personal experience, that's essential it doesn't mean that I get to make up my own story and call it Christianity. I don't get to make a self-measure. This is what Christianity is according to me. In fact, we see Christianity as us being brought in in our personal experience into God's great eternal global story. There is a historical element to Christianity. God has revealed himself through the word. So we're brought into that story It's not a story that we make up and add ourselves into. Just as if Les Mis is an actual story. Just because I'm familiar with it doesn't mean I get to apply it wherever I want. No matter how much you might want it to be about the American Revolution, wouldn't it be cool? It's not. It's written 19th century France. 
So you can't just plug it in wherever you want. Friends, so it is with God's big story. We don't get to create our own story of Christianity, but we're brought into his historic version. God's word shows us this is how to live in response to it and trust his goodness day by day. So friends, if this is true, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, will we walk in this? Will we trust him for this? We also show in in the text that the right fear of the Lord and our trust in his goodness leads us to seek him. Verse 10, we seek the Lord. We cry to the Lord for help, verse 17. But then, friends, we see beautiful reassurance. Verse 15 and 17, the eye of the Lord is toward you. When you cry to the Lord, he hears your cries. But then especially, friend, look down at verse 18 and 19. Listen to this good news. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. For those of God's people who are brokenhearted by suffering, by circumstances, by pain, by difficulties, the Lord draws near. But if you're brokenhearted today, this is assurance to you. God is near to you. By the Spirit, he is near to you today. He'll be near to you tomorrow. He is with you. And he delivers, he rescues his people. So friends, even within these assuring verses, verse 18 and 19, we see the good news of God's present, but also a realistic outlook on life in this world. Because he tells us many are the afflictions of the righteous. So Christianity is not a naive view of the world. God's people will face great difficulties, dark valleys, powerful storms, painful suffering, and even death. We have the hope God is with us and the Lord delivers his people. Sometimes the deliverance in this life is quick. More often it takes time. But even as we walk through the valley, God is with us and will sustain us. And then sometimes in the mystery of God, we won't experience deliverance in this life. But we can have confidence and hope that he will ultimately deliver all of his people from all of their suffering. That is true and certain on the last day. The hope is, the good news is, every affliction, friend, is an opportunity to experience the nearness of the Lord. For God is uniquely near and with his brokenhearted people. And fourth and finally, we see the goodness of God brought near. The goodness of God brought near in verses 20 to 22. We see an allusion in verse 20 of the ultimate display of the goodness of God in the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son. The Apostle John quotes verse 20 as he writes of the death of Jesus Christ that none of his bones were broken on the cross. Christ came and endured the greatest affliction as the sinless Son of God took on our sin in order to accomplish what we see in verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So friend, in Christ, 
Because the sinless son of God went to the cross in a place of sinners like us, friends. Those who have come to believe have been redeemed, friends. Our sins have been paid for. We've been set free to live for Christ in this world. Friend, you are freed from condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Friend, if you aren't a Christian, we would love for you to know the redemption that is freely provided by Jesus Christ. But friend, if you are a Christian today, this is what is true of you. You have been redeemed, set free, recreated. God is with you and in you and sustaining you. And friend, there is no condemnation for you. So friend, those truths can fuel for us a life of praise, a life of blessing the Lord at all times. As we've seen, we will face affliction in this life, sometimes massive, soul-shaking affliction, but there is nothing in this life that can undo what Christ has accomplished through his cross and resurrection. So friend, may praise always be in our mouths. Let us join together today to exalt the name of Christ together as we sing. You've been listening to TGC's Word of the Week. Check back next week for another gospel-centered sermon. We also invite you to visit the resources section of our website, thegospelcoalition.org, to find thousands of sermons to help you understand and apply God's Word.